are we meant to be pushing forward all the time? No. We're also meant to be treading water and just, you know, having some days that are potentially less productive, but more just sort of survival days, or as I call them, duvet days. Hey, welcome and welcome back to The Chill Factory, where we make work, school, relationships and life less stressful with expert interviews, rapid relaxers and excellent resources. I'm Jordan Friedman. This episode is a continuation of my conversation with coaching psychologist Natalie Lancer, who specializes in helping people get things done. In other words, she helps them be more productive so they can better reach their goals. This time we talk about that desired state of flow and how to get into it, how to use our perception of time to be more productive, and one of the biggest productivity motivators that Natalie has found in her work. Now, Natalie spent years researching and developing something called the Eight Tensions Framework, which is a set of forces, if you will, that she says you should be more aware of and manage not only to be more productive, but to be happier and more chill while you're trying to reach your goals, whether it's writing a paper or starting a business or losing weight or whatever you're striving for. This framework is also where her concept of chill productivity comes from. And here are a few examples of these tensions. Treading water versus pushing forward. Being you versus fitting in. Doing enough versus going all in. You may recognize these tensions in the ways you think and work, and it's worth learning more about them, which is why we put a link to one of Natalie's articles about them in the show notes and at thechillfactory.net. And don't leave the factory too soon, because after the conversation, we'll try a centuries-old treatment for stress reduction, anxiety relief, and healing. Another part of your work and... I'm sure it connects with chill productivity, is our experience of time. And you talk about the difference between our psychological experience of time and the chronological experience of time. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I wish it was mine. It's actually from Rollo May, but I'll take it. That's fine. So the psychological experience of time is is we know that, you know, when we're deep in a flow state, when we're doing sort of lots of work and we're sort of really into it, you have no idea how much time has passed. Um, it could be one minute, it could be one hour. You really don't know because you're just sort of lost in, in what you're doing. And I've had a weird experience where I had a digital clock in front of me and it said something like 5.03 and then I looked at it again and it said something 04 and um, I assumed it said 5.04 like a minute had passed and in fact it said 6.04 and an hour had passed and I just I was obviously so deep into what I was doing that I that I hadn't noticed and this for me ties into what I was saying about when are you most energetic because doing an hour of chronological time as in like you know, 60 minutes on a clock, when you're not so energetic compared to doing 60 minutes chronological time when you're at your peak in the day, you get a completely different, not only amount of stuff done, but quality of stuff done. And that's the difference between psychological and chronological time. So it's how we experience time that is the psychological time. So how how we feel it and how we live it rather than the number of minutes on the clock. And I would venture to say that sometimes when we're in that flow, 
when we're just really focused on something and we don't have a sense of time and you look at the clock and it's an hour later, that we're often enjoying whatever it is we're doing more. Absolutely. We, we enjoy it. And in fact, there are eight or nine components of flow, which Mihaly Cheek sent me high found. And he talked about flow being an autotelic effect, which means that we want to do it again because we enjoy it. We all want to be in a flow state. And that, in a way, it might be quite surprising because often we're doing quite deep work, possibly quite hard work. It doesn't always have to be work, of course, in flow. You, you could be skiing. I mean, you, you could be doing anything. But for me, I'm often doing flow work when I'm writing which is very strange because I always think of writing as being quite difficult, but actually that's when I get most into my flow. So we are meant to enjoy hard things. You know, enjoying something difficult, I think is, is a very interesting phenomenon. I think we enjoy some things because they're difficult. You know, it's like, well, I can do this, you know, and knowing not everybody can do it. There might be a sort of one-upmanship in in this as well the looking back after you've completed something you've worked hard on it maybe it took you two hours and it felt like the time flew by and then you look back at what you wrote or what you drew or or what you recorded and you think wow that is really great what i like to do is i like to see wow did i do all that 25 minutes of to use cal newport's term deep work like 42 times in this last week or whatever it is you've done and i like sort of writing down um what i've done because i write down as well as having an electronic diary i also write down a list of all the things that i am doing that day so i'm sort of writing out my electronic diary and i do that on a sunday so I've got um, a list of all the things I'm doing that week and it's a way of just getting it into my head you know from the ether of the internet and putting it into my head right this is what I'm doing this week and then when I look back on a Friday and see what I've done I literally just looking in my in this list of appointments and dates and talks whatever I've been doing and I just flick back and it's like oh gosh I did a lot on Monday didn't I And oh, Wednesday, did I really do that? And I don't need to journal about it. It's already there. Like I've already got my diary and I can, you know, I'm already sort of very pleased looking back on what I did. That is one of the keys to productivity because it gives you so much confidence. You know, when you can see how much you can do in a week, it makes you feel like you can do that the next week, which of course you can. And if you don't do that, you get to Friday and you often ask yourself, what did I do this week? <laughs> you can't even remember uh, things that happened on Monday or Tuesday because one does a lot of things in a week. So uh, having them in front of you is is really helpful. And also, I think we shouldn't un- underestimate or underplay, you know, how long it takes to do stuff. You know, reading takes a long time. I, I have a lot of people say to me, you know, is there something wrong with me? You know, it, it took me like all day to read a book. I mean, it probably takes me six months to read a book. But no, it was like really quick. People have got no sense, I don't think, of how long things take. And if you do something well, if you do something thoroughly, it does take a long time. So I think that's the other thing is that when you're breaking things up into 
periods of time like 25 minutes or something it isn't like you're going to get a whole book read in 25 minutes but you could read the introduction of a book in 25 minutes which I think is a very sensible you know thing to do and I think it's good to say and and to get people to realize that that's enough and that was a really good goal and it's amazing if you've managed to achieve that yeah I think we have a lot of things working against us where taking time or being comfortable with the idea of taking time, doing things, completing things goes because there's so many distractions and yeah, social media and devices and all of the other tech. And if you pay attention to the media or pop culture, the focus on look at what this person's done and look at how that kid became a millionaire entrepreneur at eight. And if you allow yourself to do all of the comparisons or go down that rabbit hole, taking your time can be can feel challenging. So again, there are so many practical things that you can do. First of all, I've removed all social media from my phone. So I just I just can't access it. If I want to go on social media, I can, but I have to make a deliberate decision, very existential approach to social media to do so by logging in on my computer. That's it. Um, and I think it's this deliberateness that is the, or another word of talking about this is being intentional. So often we go onto our social media when we just have nothing else to do. There's something very valuable about being bored. So people often say to me, how do you like motivate yourself to write a book, to do a dissertation, to to produce something that you've got to produce? Now, if you're having problems with motivation, the, the answer is to just let yourself get really bored. You're not don't don't let yourself go on your phone, but just say, okay, I'm I'm not gonna do this other task. So I'm not gonna do anything. I'm just gonna sit down in a chair and not do anything. See how long you last in that chair before you're really excited about doing the project. The answer is we sort of self-correct. The phone is the problem because it's interrupting that self-correction. Just like a band-aid. It's just saying, okay, well, if you're bored, you can just go and play a game. So that's fine. But actually, if you take the phone out of the equation, which is relatively easy because you can use um, sites that block, you can turn your phone off, you can put it in another room, you can, you know, you can do all these sorts of things. If you allow yourself to be bored, then actually you'll very quickly want to do something that's stimulating and will get back onto your project. Hmm. I'm going to try that today. <laughs> Natalie, do you have examples of success stories of people who you've worked with who have used some of your tensions uh, to be more productive, to reach their goals, to both give more examples of how your work can be enacted, but also to be uh, motivating and inspiring to others. I do a lot of work with the graduate schools, with the University of Cambridge, the University of Durham, University of London, and various other universities in the UK and internationally. And I look after their doctoral students because the, the doctorate is a document that is something in the region of 80,000 words long, takes years and years of research, and it will take anything between, say, four and seven years to complete. It is something that can 
to press and it's something that can get the better of and does get the better of the brightest minds it's got nothing about intelligence completing a phd is an endurance test i mean obviously you've got to be pretty intelligent to do a phd but actually that isn't the defining factor that's going to get you over the line it's literally endurance so um, i've done a fair bit of study of um, sports psychology as well and i use a lot of their principles i decided that i would look at how sports psychologists work with athletes to do marathons and things like this and apply some of these principles to help phd students get their thesis over the line and what i found was is that over the pandemic people had so little motivation even if they weren't ill themselves they were just generally unmotivated they didn't have any structure in their life they couldn't meet other people and they often just wanted to give up their doctorate so I offer a program working with the eight tensions framework to doctoral schools and what I found is is that a number of these students who were actually going to quit their doctorate completely finish their doctorate within three months of completing the course. I actually did some research study on this because I couldn't quite believe it myself, um, even though I think my ideas are very good and, and I know it works for me. But how can you go from giving up your doctorate to giving it in after working with the Eight Tensions Framework? And there are a number of reasons how this worked. First of all, just realising that all human beings experience the same life tensions is itself extremely liberating there's nothing wrong with you that you know some days you don't feel like it and some days you know you're a bit more raring to go and all this sort of stuff so are we meant to be pushing forward all the time no we're also meant to be treading water and just you know having some days that are potentially less productive but more just sort of survival days or as i call them duvet days so (laughs) (laughs) we all have them but what people didn't realize is that other people were having them so when you start to talk to other people you you realize that it's completely normal so i think there was this idea of this sort of ideal human being that doesn't exist and what um the eight tensions has given people potentially like a new mental infrastructure where they're like okay so i'm not narrowing down today i am doing a bit more opening up today that's fine and that's what i'm you know that's what I've decided to do and I'm okay with that rather than somehow chastising ourselves for not behaving in a certain way but also there were some very practical things that people learnt with the exercises I developed so for every tension there are 10 exercises to do for each side of the tension which you learn on my program and that's what got people going to move to the bit where they wanted to go so they got unstuck and they got industrious Natalie Lancer is a coaching psychologist who helps people be more productive. And you can read more about her and her work in the show notes or at thechillfactory.net. And be sure to check out the previous episode, which is part one of my conversation with Natalie, called Chill Productivity, Part One. Singing bowls, or Himalayan bowls, are traditional musical instruments that have been used in Tibetan Buddhist and Hindu practices for centuries. They're typically a combination of metals such as brass and bronze, and they make a sound when the bowl's rim is rung or struck. There are lots of health benefits associated with singing bowls, including stress and anxiety relief, relaxation, therapeutic healing, and better sleep. So if you can, 
close your eyes and enjoy a minute of singing bowls. What do you think? If you like what you heard, the full 30-minute version of this Singing Bowls track is available on the Chill Factory app, which you can get by downloading the Chill Factory from the App Store or Google Play and entering the password GOALS when prompted. And this will give you and 24 other listeners full and free access to all of the Chill Factory app's features for one year from the original post date of this episode. It's quitting time for this episode of The Chill Factory. I'm Jordan Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow The Chill Factory so you'll know when new episodes are available. And there's always more at thechillfactory.net and now at The Chill Factory Podcast on Instagram. And as Austrian psychiatrist, philosopher, and Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl said, Life can be pulled by goals just as surely as it can be pushed by drives.